Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old albums for some reason. This is Nick. This is Chris. And this is Caleb. And I think this week we have a pick from Chris. That's correct. I picked A Knight's Tale. Hey! All right. Friday night, baby. Hot crowd, hot crowd. Uh, what year is this from? It's 2001. 2001. I considered recommending this before, so I'm excited about this one. Yeah, me too. I think this movie is, it's on Netflix right now. I think it's having a oh, yeah. resurgence in popularity. So check it out if you guys haven't seen it Everybody in a while. Everybody pause the podcast. Watch it right now. Watch the entire film. <laughs> if you're on the road, even better. <laughs> and then stream the entire soundtrack. <laughs> Don't watch this movie while driving. <laughs> Listen to a couple of our old episodes and then come back. And uh, restart this episode, A Knight's Tale. Was this a uh, soundtrack that Chris owned? It was not, but I remember it being passed around. I had this on DVD, not the soundtrack, but I didn't watch it uh, until this episode. (laughs) Very good. Very good. You know, but, you know, my aunt had recommended it to me back in the day. She was like, you should really see that movie. I think you would like it a lot. It's got modern music, but it's old timey. And I was like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? First of all, you know, bring out those scare quotes for the modern. But uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't have the soundtrack, but I guess I I must have watched this. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I watched it. Around, you know, I was in college, I guess. And it's a movie. You know, what we talked about. It is a movie. It is a we movie. talked about Baby Driver recently, yeah. uh, a couple episodes ago. And I think this is in a similar vein of a movie where the soundtrack is kind of front and center. Mm-hmm. So it's an exciting one to talk about. Let's jump in. Let's do it. This This is is a movie. (laughs) This is a movie, and here's the soundtrack. Let's jump into track one. This is Queen with We Will Rock You. Classic jock jam. We love Queen. This is uh, one of the few rock songs where there's not a hint of like African rhythm. <laughs> this is like pure. As a British person in yeah, my lineage, I can tell you this is our music. Uh, uh, <laughs> 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 Do you think Queen ever knew how successful their songs would be in sports arenas? Uh, I think they had an idea of it. Because, we are the champions. Uh, yeah, Brian May is pretty, um, yeah. let's say, confident. I think some some of that like later, <laughs> yeah, some of the Brian May, like I don't know if you'd say mid-career, late-career Queen, it has like a little bit of a tryhardiness of like... I mean, it's it's amazing. It's amazing, I should say. I think that Seven Nation Army is a little bit more of an accidental jock jam. Mm-hmm more than this one we should compile a list of accidental jock jams <laughs> the gary glitter, gary glitter. <laughs> <laughs> and now accidental anthem to the incels man <laughs> i was, oh, I was reading into the uh, the making of we will rock you because mm-hmm. I, I did not watch the queen movie okay sadly oh uh, yeah it might be all right but kinda, um, it's, it's not great but i enjoyed it a lot yeah it's worth a watch so yeah. like the making of the song like comes in two parts like you have the first part where Queen played a show somewhere in England and the crowd was going crazy after they left the stage and the sound of the crowd singing inspired them to, you know, make a song that kind of sounded like that. But the second part that I think is maybe more the case is that 
the song was written in response to the backlash that they got from punk bands at the time. The song was recorded in 76, around the same time that punk was starting to take off. Yeah. We Will Rock You was on the same album as We Are the Champions, which we may get to later. Uh, but it's from their album News of the World. And they were recording that in the same studio at the same time as the Sex Pistols were recording Never Mind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols. And there's like a famous story of Sid Vicious coming into the control room during Queen's session. And he went up to Freddie Mercury and said, have you succeeded in bringing ballet to the masses yet? Which was a reference to a, a line that Freddie Mercury had said in an interview. And Freddie casually got up to him and said, aren't you Stanley Ferocious or someone <laughs> like that? <laughs> and like, grabbed him by the shirt and threw him out of the studio. Nice, nice. And then it's funny that when they were recording those claps and stomps, they used the Sex Pistols drum riser oh, nice. to record that on top of. So it was kind of a little bit of a fuck you. But they were getting a lot of stuff from punk bands saying like, you know, this is just ballet music. Yeah. Well, it's... Yeah. You know, people... They're like, no, man, we can rock. <laughs> I, th- I feel like Queen has become such a singular band that we don't think about how proggy they got. Like, they were like a very indulgent proggy band. And punk was a huge rejection of that. And not a lot of prog bands made it out of the 70s because it was like, you know, the zeitgeist changed and all of a sudden people wanted, like, stripped down, like, kind of authentic music and they didn't want, like, you know... Their cantatas. <laughs> yeah. It was something they were certainly conscious of. Yeah, yeah. I hear that, isn't it? This is like a stripped down, like, this is like more of a... Back to the roots. Yeah, in a way, even though... It's not a bad song. No, it's I a mean, it, song. it's just, there's no drums or bass. It's just vocals, stomps and claps, stomps and, and cla- maybe a guitar at the end. Well, if you watch uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, there's a scene in it where Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious and the rest <laughs> of the Sex Pistols hear this on the radio... And then Sid Vicious slams it, <laughs> and he goes, God damn it, they've done it. <laughs> That's not the movie. Oh, <laughs> come on. Don't tease me, Chris. Um, in this movie, you see the people in the jousting arena at the very beginning. This is and they're very early on. Very early on, right? They're in the credits, uh, the opening credits, and they're stomping and clapping for the jousters, and they're like kind of singing the song. Like, well, it's funny. So it does a thing, I think, very effectively, where it's trying to warm up the audience of this film to the idea idea of there being a lot of modern music uh not just scoring the film but like the characters in the film are hearing the music that doesn't exist until you know hundreds of years later or whatever and i think um it does it in in a clever way which is it starts just with these uh you know these fucking peasants just like slamming they're like cheering for the thing and it's and i think yeah. what it's taking advantage of the song being not just a great song, but also a jock jam and that it's trying to make the analogy that this is the sports arena yeah. of the medieval world. And that, you know, whatever fucking dopey, like weird medieval <laughs> song they would be singing would have been there like queen. And so it brings you into that world and kind of in the way, like I remember um, when Deadwood came out, the HBO yeah. series, there was a lot of uh, David, is it David Milch? The, anyways, the creator of Deadwood was talking about how the West was a profane place where everybody was like living outside of polite society, but nobody like in actual like movies where if you actually showed what the West was like, profanity is so much different now. And it's like people being like dark gamut or whatever, you know, whatever people said in the Dead West. gamut, you yeah, sheep yeah. shanker. Get back like, here. It, it's so quaint. It's so quaint. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So he had to change it. He had to like dial it up. So when you watch, uh, I found it off putting at first, I'm trying to get back into Deadwood, but at the beginning of Deadwood, 
it's uh it's ian mcshane being like hey you cocksucker come in here cocksucker sit down hey cocksucker come over here and it's like kind of off-putting because they're trying to make a point about like you know this place is a place like with no like niceties and this is trying to make the same point where it's like we don't want you to think of what's happening as something pristine and medieval like from a tapestry like this is a fucking you know you're in you know cowboy stadium and everybody's cheering exactly hoping for blood while we're on the uh, topic of queen do you guys uh, know anything about the queen musical we will rock you no Sometime in the mid-90s, Queen's manager came to the band about making a jukebox musical. And the original intent was for the show to be a biography of Freddie Mercury's life. And I'm going to go out on a limb here (laughs) and and say that Brian May probably shut down that idea, given what we know about his involvement with the making of the Queen movie. (laughs) Tale as old as time. Um, they also considered making the story, you know, about the band, but they, they brought in a director, Ben Elton, who worked with him on making a story, uh, not about the band at all. And Ben Elton has said that his idea for the script was based on the matrix. And this is a quote from Brian May about the musical. What? <laughs> what? Yes, this is, uh, this is Brian May. The journey of the piece is the struggle of a few rebels towards their way of expressing themselves in their own individual way and to rediscover some seeds from the past to give them some clues as to how they might do that. So the music, <laughs> the Matrix. Yeah, I, think I think we're hearkening back to the prog rock days of Queen. This is very... <laughs> the show takes place in the distant future where everyone dresses and thinks and acts the same and musical instruments and composers are forbidden mm, and rock, rock music is unknown there's clips of it that you can watch online and it is hilariously terrible that's, that's <laughs> equilibrium though yeah, that's, yeah, the, that's story equilibrium. Of the equilibrium the matrix rap uh, like ripoff or whatever yeah. that's yeah oh my gosh check it out like <laughs> we the, gotta get our hands on that tape <laughs> i like all these people where they're, they're trying to explain to you the matrix but they they're just describing equilibrium <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into uh, track two. Track two. This is War with Lowrider. Once again, on Track Listing Podcast, we've heard this song in a previous episode of ours, the Beverly Hills Ninja <laughs> episode. Well, yeah, we're probably going to repeat a lot of the same talking points. I maintain that if this song, this song suffers from, I'll say it, tequila fatigue, where it's uh, too ubiquitous in a it's goofy kitschy. nature. Yeah. It's too kitschy by association. I think that if this song came out today, um, we would all be rocking uh, lowrider tattoos yeah we love it's a it. great song it's that a great i've song. heard a thousand times over yeah. under how many movies do we think have this on the soundtrack all right oh, I, I have to yeah, say you have, to, you have to give us a number <laughs> yeah, just guess i don't need an over under so you have an official number <laughs> i don't know how to gamble i can think <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> swindled so many times <laughs> so you mean in the film or on the soundtrack on like, the soundtrack or in I, soundtracks I, to I, movies i've got a list uh from imdb theatrical okay, IMDb. movie soundtracks featuring lowrider performed by war i gotta say you want to say 50? 40. 44. 44. I'm going to say 35. 
it's so anticlimactic. 17, which is still a lot. <laughs> still very high. That is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Up in uh, smoke, like, colors, yeah, yeah. a gnome named Norm. So good. That movie, a gnome named Norm. Never heard of it. So good. You fell in the same trap as my girlfriend. Steph is always like, how much do you think I got this for? And I'm like, I don't know, like five bucks? She's like, six. <laughs> I've got a uh, over-under for you yeah, sure. as well. Uh, how many members have been in the band War? Which we have talked about. I think before. we have talked about. It's like uh, like 34 I think we've proved today that neither of you guys understand the over-under concept. Uh, <laughs> it's, we're in a lightning round? Is that what's happening? I'm going to win 20, twice as much 24, money. 24? Chris was correct. It is 34 on the dot. We have okay. talked about that exact question <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, there's an infl- a constant influx of care. It's a Theseus ship sort of band. Like, none of the original members are in the there current There are iteration. a lot of percussionists. There's brass sections. This was uh, originally Eric Burden was the lead singer. Eric Burden from The Animals. But... Uh, I think he only stuck around for two or three records. This is at least uh, four years. They tried after. to carry on with like the war. Na- the remaining members of War oh, tried to I carry on with the name. Yeah, what and it's called now? They're the Lowrider Low Band. Low Rider band. Yeah. They got swindled out of the name War. Pretty insane. But uh, let us not forget the Corn uh, cover of Lowrider. <sighs> of course, yeah, the greatest of all, best, best cover of all time. Boy, can we not forget that? <laughs> song is playing during the goofy training jousting montage uh so if you haven't seen the movie heath ledger is uh, a not of noble birth but uh wants to compete in these jousting tournaments and to do so you have to be of noble birth so he fakes it and then he starts just entering these jousting tournaments and he starts kicking butt right off the bat so because he's fearless He's fearless, but he goes... I mean, there is a guy that, like, forges a document for him to compete. Not just, Not a, just guy. a guy. Chaucer! Chaucer. The Canterbury Tales, Jeffrey Chaucer. Sorry, spoiler heads. I, uh, <laughs> Sorry, spoiler heads. <laughs> I fucking... I, in college, I tried to read the fucking Canterbury Tales. Yeah, it's gotta be go. hard. It was rough. Yeah. It was a rough never, that was never required reading for us. It's like yeah. then Ulysses, which was way later, but it's just like, uh, well, a different, different problem. Yeah. The Canterbury Tales isn't so much dense as it is just, in, in a modern context, it just doesn't satisfy anything. Also, well, A Knight's Tale, the, uh, the title comes from one of, uh, I guess, the first story in the Canterbury Tales called A Knight's Tale. It has not too much to do with this movie, but I think it was just inspired. And this was kind of written... I guess there was a period where Jeffrey yeah, yeah. Chaucer, like a year of his Went life, AWOL. Is, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was more like seven years, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like this that. is like maybe this what happened, or maybe what he experienced. That was um, <laughs> well, it's actually probably exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'd <would> say so. <laughs> Strict research. Should we hear a little bit of track three? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Bachman Turner Overdrive, taking care of business. And if song that's been used in more office depot campaigns than i can count (laughs) on one hand i mean i talk a lot about songs that are ruined by their like ubiquitous context you know after decades of being used in you know commercials 
I think this was cheesy from the start. This is like kind of a shitty song, right? BTO? <laughs> you got trash BTO in here, dude? Come on. Yeah, man. If you think, <laughs> yeah. if you think this yeah, yeah, version yeah. Okay, is cheesy, okay. in 2016... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. In 2014, Gary Bachman, you know, decided to make a Christmas album. So, if you guys haven't heard Taken Care of Christmas... <laughs> We might want to hear a little bit of that. Yeah, let's uh, check that out. To the North Pole, to his workshop in the snow, and he'll put his ass to working on it quick. Tell Santa you've been good, and done the things you should, and you're waiting for his visit Christmas Eve. If you're in bed by night, you will give him lots of time to put some special toys under your tree, and he'll be taking care of Christmas every day. Taking care of Christmas in his sleigh. Taking care of Christmas and doing it right. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs> this is extremely real. Oh man, that's dude. like okay. That's that's. <laughs> Sometimes you like see a guy in a fucking Geico commercial and they're like doing a joke on their own song and, and you're like, oh, that's kind of sad. But this is intentional. This is yeah. in earnest. And also, it's like if you're the fucking Beach Boys, you can get away with fucking surfing Santa or whatever. But Bachman Turner Overdrive are not the fucking Beach Boys. Oh, man. Not even the Canadian Beach Boys. They're Canadian, right? The Bachman Turner Overdrive? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. <laughs> I was reading a story about when they recorded this song originally. They were in the same studio where War was recording their album, Why Can't We Be Friends, where they were tracking Lowrider yeah, yeah. down the hall from the same time they were recording this song. Also, down the hall was Steve Miller Band recording Fly Like an Eagle. And Jeez. There's different accounts of this story, so I'm probably going to tell a, di- a slightly different one, but Steve Miller ordered a pizza. And... <laughs> Ooh. Uh-oh. Bogman Turner Overdrive had been working on. They were basically like a guitar, drum, and bass band. There was uh, they never used piano yet, and this song, you know, is is big on the Little Richard style piano. And they couldn't figure out what was going on with the session. It's like two a.m. They're leaving, and a you know a guy dressed in a full army outfit knocks on the door to deliver a pizza, and he's like, "No, that's for Steve Miller." And you know, the guy is like, I've actually been sitting outside the door for like two hours, and I think you need to put piano in this song. <laughs> and they're like, man, we're really, t- we don't know who you are. We're really exhausted. We just want to go home. And he's, he's like pleading with them. Like, I'm a keyboardist. I'm really good. I like only deliver pizza when I'm like out of session work. Just let me lay something down. And he goes in and like... We're- <laughs> They mic up a piano and he records a track. They don't even listen back to it. And they come back the next day with their manager. And, you know, they, they tell the engineer, like, don't bring up the piano because we haven't heard it yet. And our man, you know, the label's here. And the engineer just brings in the piano. <laughs> and the manager flips out. And he's like, this is exactly what you guys need. This is genius. Who's the piano player? And they're like, some pizza guy from last night. And they're like, well, you got to find him. So they like, you know, have to call these, another pizza. <laughs> they asked Steve Miller. They're like, where did you guys order pizza from last night? And Steve Miller says like, we threw the pizza box away. Like, I have no idea. So they like finally found this guy and it ended up breaking his career. And he ended up becoming a music director for like bed Midler. Oh, whoa. Oh. And they were like, Oh man, that was so good. He's like, you think that's good? You ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, their label got really excited because they're like, "This is going to help you guys tap into the Elton John, you know, yeah. kind of radio thing." Yeah, he's like, "This is just what you guys needed." 
Best that's so wild. So who knows how true that story that was, is, but that's uh, the story that's, floating that's a great around. Story. Yeah, I believe it. Before we started recording, we were making fun of, we were in conversation, we were making fun of uh, well-meaning relatives, like uh, pitching song ideas of like what you should write songs about. And it's like, that's like a ridiculous idea, except I think that, <laughs> especially in this era, any band that was like writing songs about like the weekend or working or like, like those things... <laughs> Yeah, Especially man, ended up in movies. Like those what? up, man. Yeah, and then they all got like so many commercials afterwards that everyone just like rode that <laughs> hard man working for the weekend sort of song. Do we know anything about like Elvis's use of taking care of business, which is TCB, which is like Elvis's TCB band, and know. like the motto that Elvis kind of adopted it his like personal ethos oh, just taking care of business <laughs> i think there may be some connection there that may be up for debate yeah, yeah. this was playing uh during the uh the sword round uh, so i guess all these jousting tournaments all these grand tournaments had uh jousting rounds and sword rounds and i believe like spear and mace rounds and then maybe one other or an archery i'm sure mm-hmm uh, but um, William Thatcher, Heath Ledger's character, only competed in the jousting and sword rounds, and he's really taking care of business with this song. He's, <laughs> the thing is that he's TCB, a, baby. He's the a, best at the sword round, but it doesn't get the glory. Doesn't get the glory. So get it. And I was like, I would have, I would have liked to see some more sword stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of way cooler than jousting. I don't. Okay, maybe we could talk about this later, but. I don't quite understand how you get better at jousting. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just leaning in. Well, it kind of reminds me. And time, I think, I think I that the, uh, a lot of, I would say parallels that they're drawing are to like drag racing type of thing. And it's like, uh, it's the same thing. If you watch like, there's like funny car races, there's drag races, there's like huge, like, you know, big money and it's just two cars and they're like, take off and they're the same car. And one of them goes a little bit quicker. And it's like, I don't, Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what's going on in there? Oh, see what he did was he he pointed the lance at his face that time. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, obviously there is some skill to it, and I'm sure you know my my medieval heads out there are gonna gonna hammer this podcast. But like, apparently those lances were uh, hollowed out and filled with uncooked linguine yeah, yeah, yeah. to like that. emphasize the uh, Just break and yeah. shatter and stuff. So, so okay. that's pretty cool. Have either of you guys ever been to like a medieval times restaurant? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's so I never so have. Fun. Like, tell me about this. Is there jousting oh yeah yeah yeah, for sure and like i think they do the same thing it's like they're like very breakable lances and they'll break and like that's all i was thinking about while watching this uh beautiful film was just like i want to be at medieval times yeah we gotta track the the food is awful (laughs) super super expensive (laughs) margaritas are like 30 bucks yeah um eat uh, like a king so I, I've gone as an adult, um, and they do not appreciate it. <laughs> like we went with like, was, like with a bunch of friends, and we were like, "Yeah!" And they cut us off like <laughs> immediately. They're like, "Nope, yeah, you, yeah, we're not doing that here. This is a family place. Family right? place. Now uh, watch these people risk their lives for your amusement." Oh man, the, what I was thinking about the whole time I was watching it is that uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, like I my my people were peasants. I would have been one of those peasants." You know, it was like. <laughs> The Browns and their porters. I come from a lot of uh, British peasants. <laughs> Just fucking throwing mutton at some Thatchers night. and Tanners. <laughs> no, Caleb, you can Smithson. you can change your stars. Yeah, you can follow you can your change. feet. You really couldn't. Follow your feet. Point. Follow your feet. Change the best your stars. Advice, follow your feet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, Dickie, what do we got next? Let's get into track four. This is David Bowie with Golden Years. 
Last night they loved you Opening doors and pulling some strings And walk luck and you looked in time Never look back, walk tall, act fine That is, you know, one of my favorite jams. David Bowie, amazing. This is off of Station to Station. Kind of an underrated Bowie jam. Okay, so we talk a lot about rock bands in the 70s, how they all got sucked into disco for like one or two singles and then kind of like got out of it. And everybody's like, we remember them as great songs. We don't really think of them being disco songs. Like the Stones had Miss You, ELO had Last Train to London. I don't think any there's not many other early 70s late 60s rock musicians who were so well suited to the disco era as bowie was and i kind of wish that he had leaned into it more because there's a few records that you know there was like a couple there's like song fashion there was like disco songs but man i really could have used a couple like full-on disco like bowie records from the 70s you're right he was so equipped uh, oh yeah to do the disco this is like in the peak of cocaine Bowie, mm-hmm. this is like the cocainiest of Bowies. Yeah, this is glass of milk a day and yeah. cocaine. I for don't breakfast. know how this much of dude. like Bowie's amazing disco music uh, like was his idea originally. Well, uh, because I mean, the story with this song always gets me. Where uh, he always worked with uh, a couple of session guitar players in the studio. One is Carlos Alomar, and the other was Earl Slick. And not to shit on Bowie at all, like with this story, but for this song, you know, this is an example of when Bowie came in with like a basic two chord progression, like just like F sharp to E and like a basic melody. And he would start playing it for Carlos and Earl. And Carlos said like, now David, like, have you ever heard the song on Broadway? David Bowie's (laughs) like, "Uh, uh, I don't know. Carlos, like, you, you can't do that, man. It's like the exact same song that you're like playing and singing. Uh, so he's like trying to reason with Bowie you're not to like bum, rip bada, off what's maybe a lame song. Bum, no, that's a drifter song. That's a good song. <laughs> On Broadway. Uh, but he's like, listen, David, like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll change it. Uh, so, you know, they work out the arrangement and like come up with the riff and then. Uh, they kind of decide between the guitar players who's going to play the riff. And Earl Slick, who plays the main riff, openly said, like, that riff is just Cream's Outside Woman Blues and Wilson Pickett's Funky Broadway. And it's exactly those two things just thrown together. Well, I mean, I, Bowie, I think, is, um, I think, famous, famously and, like, partially maligned as being a great, I would say... Uh, Idea man. No, he's an assimilator. You know, he takes all that he takes from... And the record before this was, I think, Young Americans, yeah, which is Young his, Americans. Uh, his, like, Philly Soul album, where he went and, like, he was like, I love this music. I'm going to get all my favorite session guys together. So he's he's always... You know, this is a he's man... Steve Jobs. He's a man without a band. Like, he's a man he brings together the musicians that he wants to, you know, appreciates probably more than himself. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, do what you do. Yeah, again, again it. it's not it's not to shit on Bowie, but it was the same kind of story with um, Let's Dance, where like you know he's working with Niall Rogers on that song at the time, and he just like came into Niall. They were staying in Stockholm together, and he just came into Niall's room with like a twelve string guitar, and is like, and Niall's is like that. 
you're playing like a folk song and it's called like let's dance like nah man that's not gonna work at all like we gotta make it dance yeah. and you know like he turned it into let's dance yeah. but it's a lot of david bowie kind of like <laughs> suggesting these like folky progressions and session guys are like nah man we gotta like make it good yeah but bowie's the one who listens to the people who know better yeah, yeah. this song is playing during the dance and i think used to great effect they're like asking William Thatcher, so he's disguised himself as Sir Ulrich uh, von Lichtenstein, uh, von Lichtenstein from Gelderland, and they're like uh, the the bad guy, like uh, um, Amanad. What's his last? I can't remember. Oh, he's from the Holiday. Yeah, yeah. Holiday. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, oh shit. Uh, Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell. I remember like Dark Cities, and uh, he's, he's one of the best villains. He's a great villain, and he's and he's gr- actually a really cool guy. I think I follow him on Twitter. In this movie, he's a <laughs> oh, okay. he's a total dick for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so he's like show us a dance from gelderland uh sir lichtenstein whatever sir um um <laughs> sir um <laughs> and uh then they all you know uh, i guess god I'm, i can't think of what uh shannon sossaman shannon, shannon sossaman, sossaman comes in and kind of saves the day and they dance to this song and it kind of like it's that modern sort of anachronistic thing but in david bowie's one of his obituaries, uh, somebody by the name of Anthony Lane referred to the film's use of golden ears to be the best and most honest use of anachronism that I know of. Oh, interesting. I think it's my favorite scene in the movie. Again, these are my people, and these are people without <laughs> rhythm or grace. And if you see, like, I, you know, it's, it's all according to historical whatever, but uh, medieval dancing is like a real stolid affair. And no matter how well you light and shoot and choreograph it, it's going to just, you know, nothing but limp dicks. It's just like the worst <laughs> shit. People like barely touching and doing yeah. these weird like chamber music shit. Around the maple. And it's like, no, it's like you have to show that this is like, you know, that everybody's having fun. This is a fucking party. Yeah. And to have it like kind of like slowly turn up into, and it's like the way they do it is they have the chamber music. We, and should, slowly... we should save that for when we talk about uh, Carter Burwell. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. But uh, it turns into Golden Years, which is a complete fucking jam. And, uh, and it made me really happy to watch it. And it always does. And to your point, like uh, director Brian Helgeland uh, was like, I wanted to use like modern day music because that's the way people felt about it at the time when it was coming out they had that emotional response and i want you to have that too it's like when someone jams out on the loot they were like yeah these are are fucking young people this is like a star athlete and uh maybe a kardashian i don't know how it fucking works (laughs) should we hear a little bit of track five yeah let's do it this is heart with crazy on you I love this song. I fucking I don't listen to enough heart, and it's like whenever, especially like for I feel like for this podcast every once in a while, and I, and it's like oh man, I just keep like rewinding, listening to songs over and over. This uh, I mean, this song gives off strong like uh, dads in the garage don't bother him vibes, but <laughs> but maybe I'm getting to the point in my life. I fucking love it. It's a yeah, great song. This was their uh, first single. Was yeah. it really? This is Heart's first single, and uh, the kind of chunky 
rhythm that it has they uh they lifted from uh, moody blues's song question mm-hmm. it was on dreamboat annie correct yeah yeah for a long time you know the the pacific northwest is seattle band originally this was kind of like our uh one of our few claims to fame of seattle rocked them it was like this and uh the sonics were like a tacoma band early on and then uh, donnie and joe emerson man never forget yeah but until <laughs> they until, were in a barn until, uh, no well yeah them. they were out by like yakima or something but uh <laughs> until grunge hit like we were really grasping at straws and one of those beautiful straws was heart oh, great nice. band yeah uh, no i love heart absolutely yeah, i think this is our first heart but uh not our first nancy wilson we had a uh, who was the second half of Heart? She was on the uh, Vanilla Sky soundtrack. Yeah, because she right. was uh, married to Cameron Crowe for a while, right? She was back in the day. And this uh, this song has appeared in many many soundtracks. Uh, this was in The Virgin Suicides from '99. This was in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle 2004. Demolition. Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I haven't seen. It's he like goes kind of nuts and tears up his house. It's, uh, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. <laughs> I've just there's a famous uh, meme from it. I don't think I've seen it in the actual okay. movie. Uh, yeah, I think one one of the uh, through lines of the soundtrack is that there's a lot of songs that are used in a lot of other soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's nice. I mean, nice. If we, have, if we ever do like Kevin Bacon game for soundtracks, yeah. it's all gonna come through the Knight's Tale. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that is one of like the early critiques of the soundtrack. It's like. Well, this was in 2001. All these songs are like from the 70s and known hits and like already very overplayed by the time they made it to the soundtrack. But I mean, I don't know, 19 years ago, now I just feel like if I hear any of these songs, I mean, Crazy on You's great, but actually this didn't appear in the film, but on the soundtrack. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. But like, yeah, when Taking Care of Business comes on during like a, <laughs> a, like a training montage, you're like, Jesus Christ. Oh, like, here we here go. We go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nikki, what do we got next? We are coming in on track number six. This is Eric Clapton with Further On Up The Road. Pretty, baby. pretty soon you're gonna be crying. Eric Clapton's Further On Up The Road. You can hear the follow-up to this track, Further On Down The Road, from Eric Clapton's 19th solo studio album (laughs) entitled Old Sock from 2013. And if you haven't heard that, uh, that's totally fine. (laughs) This is the kind of blues sound where I'm expecting either Dan Aykroyd or Bruce Willis to jump in on the mouth harp. Jim Belushi. This is... (laughs) I said Jim. I like I like cream. I wasn't air clapped in the yardbirds. I don't like this fucking song, man. Do you this guys is, like this song? This is like an old blues standard that's you know heralded as uh, like quintessential Texas swing blues. Yeah. And Chris, you can probably attest to this as well. But being from Houston, like Texas shuffle blues music was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I started playing guitar, this was like music that I just learned by virtue of my surroundings. But I've always kind of veered away from it because of how overdone it is. And it's like 
just 12 bar blues is just like, there's no surprises with it. It's the same progression. And like, you always know what you're going to get out of it, but the black keys, yeah, they did invent the blues. (laughs) They did invent blues. So Um, we got to bring them on. Yeah. It was something I always kind of veered away from, but this is just like music that we heard so much growing up in Texas. Yeah. I think like Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, was pretty much shoved down my throat and it was, it was just like regarded as amazing, like without question. Yeah. Uh, and like still today, like I revere, I, I think Steve Ray Vaughan is better than Eric Clapton in a lot of respects. I mean, I don't know. I agree. completely. Uh, <laughs> just yeah. like, uh, I think I've talked about the greatest guitar transfer ever. Steve Ray Vaughan's in the middle of like the, she's my sweet little girl. She's my, and he breaks a guitar string like during the solo. And then, like, you see, like, the ultimate roadie come out of the corner, like, (laughs) immediately, and he, like, gives him a guitar, he switches it on, and doesn't, like, he finishes the solo with, like, the, the, like, remaining uh, five strings, and then he switches out the guitar, clips it on, doesn't miss a beat, and sings right back into the microphone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, also, like, famous for playing with his teeth. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Which the uh, dentist apparently told him, he's like, you're going to have to stop doing that, or else you're not going to have a mouth. I think they asked Stevie Ray Vaughan to stop a lot. Thing. <laughs> like you're, you're gonna die if you keep doing these things yeah we were talking uh i think in the baby driver soundtrack we were talking a little bit about soul recordings like the motown era kind of mid-60s soul recordings and how oh yeah you were talking about how like if you really listen to them they're like really distorted yeah i think that like so when you think about the sound of soul and how great those old recordings sound even though they're like you know not Hot. great recordings uh and then you listen to like you know, I, I would say like 90s, so like kind of boys to men and how kitschy and like weird it is. So that's like, you know, whatever gap that is, 35 years. And then, uh, yeah, like if you listen to really old blues recordings and it's mm-hmm. like they're really old recordings and they're so great and like raw and like honest. And you're like, this is where it all comes from. And then you listen to this like version of blues where it's like this big like opulent recording you're like very this just, well recorded it sounds like it's a not fucking, the way it's supposed to be done this is like a bill murray comedy it's so true like you just hear it and you're like this doesn't i don't get any of that i mean i think for those really old blues recordings like you know early sing into the can <laughs> yeah that you know the kind of the lo-fi quality of it was just like the medium itself but like with the motown stuff the reason it sounded so crackly is that they were competing with each other they were competing with all those different soul labels to try to get the hottest loudest sounding record (laughs) and records have a limited range that you can press to them so they were just everyone was just trying to get the loudest sounding record possible but yeah the song's playing uh when they're i guess william thatcher's posse is hanging out at the tavern and they're talking about betting all of it on the like dude Ulrich's hot right now we gotta bet uh jeffrey chaucer has had a bit of a gambling problem degenerate like, gambler, degenerate <laughs> gambler. <laughs> all right jeff yeah like dude you gotta stop and they bet with some frenchmen that um you know sir Ulrich will win the the whole tournament i like it because it, it i was getting strong like wimbledon vibes or something it's like the french open or something it's yeah like, it's like uh, British feet are unsteady on French land. And you're like, oh, that's a fucking burn, man. Don't let him say that shit. Uh, there's a quote the the Frenchman who they're betting with. Uh, they're like, well, the the Pope is French, so like, <laughs> you know, up yours, whatever. Uh, but it it leads to um, you can get a timestamp on the movie. You're like, oh, so it must be in between 1300 and 1370, which is when the um, I guess the Pope was French, which is kind of cool okay but, yeah yeah there's a for his like the lack of historical um accuracy in this movie is uh 
there was an attention to detail placed in a lot of it, um, even though it was extremely inaccurate in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I think the director at some point came out and said like which time period it was intended to be. Yeah, I think 1300 yeah, to 1370, yeah. somewhere around there. Oh, man, what a fucking hell. We're heading back towards it, but... <laughs> yeah, but Anachronism! Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I will say, like, on all these, like, you know, IMDb lists, like, uh, lists the goofs and trivia and stuff and all these like renaissance fair nerds have come out of the woodworks being like um these pins that were on his uh, tunic did not appear till 1400 so like, it's just, uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of a goof like uh, a woman would not be allowed to speak in that like, and also there's another goof women weren't allowed in that room also goof here women aren't allowed in church at that point it's like oh jesus christ yeah. <laughs> nerds <laughs> all right nikki what do we got next We've got track number seven. This is Rare Earth with Get Ready. I, when I think of that song, of course, I think about the Proclaimers version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got our first our cover. Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> the Dumb right. and Dumber soundtrack. I was going to say, the, the Temptations, I think, is probably the... I think that this is actually the highest charting version. This was like the big radio version, but the it was a Smokey Robinson wrote it. This was like a... Is it Motown or Stax or one of... Smokey Robinson wrote it for Barry Gordy. Yeah. And they positioned it with the Temptations as its first release. Yeah, and then like, I think Rare Earth they recorded it probably like two weeks later or something. It was one of those things they just like send them out. This was the bigger hit. I think the Temptations version is better, and uh, the Proclaimers version is much worse. <laughs> Listen to our Dumb and Dumbers. Oh, oh. 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 some breaking news. <gasps> This just in from Spin Magazine on today, September eighteenth, twenty twenty. Van Morrison. To release three anti-lockdown oh, no. protest songs. Yeah, I know about this. <laughs> Van Morrison is releasing three new tracks, Born to be Free, As I Walked Out, and No More Lockdown, in response to the ongoing UK government lockdown restrictions. The Irish singer announced on his website today, I'm not telling people what to do or think. The government is doing a great job of that already. It's about freedom of choice. I believe people should have the right to think for themselves, Morrison stated. No More Lockdown has the most pointed lyrics of the trio of protest songs. No more fascist bullies disturbing our peace. No more taking our freedom and our God-given rights, pretending it's for our safety when it's really to enslave. So, uh, Van Morrison, uh, all right, taking Van Morrison, a, I, I got, I got something to say about this. First of all, there, this is not the only British musician who's taken an unpopular stand. <laughs> First of all, I, I love Van Morrison. Gallagher's. I love Van Morrison. Gallagher's. This, is, this is so... Van Morrison is a crazy person. I think yeah, he's famous he's, for being a crazy famously person. famously crazy. Yeah. Uh, one of the Gallagher's came out against masks, and the other one, I think, immediately had to come out for them because they have to be feuding and everything. Yeah. Uh, I think Liam is the dumb one, and Noel's the smart one. Smarter? I can't remember. I can't keep it straight. Nah, and then uh, I think Ian Brown from the Stone Roses, which is a band that I love, has also come out anti-mask. I don't know what's going on in England. Yeah. Well, they're they're... Uh, their bottom line's getting hit because they're 
concerts are getting like uh, well like taken away i think that's what van morrison has said that the limited concert capacity is uh based on pseudoscience Mm -hmm. and he has pointed out that he himself and andrew lloyd weber are the only ones that are trying to get the music industry back up and running again oh just those two just those yeah. two. Fight the good fight, you guys. And the health minister from Northern Ireland said, I don't know where he gets his facts. I know <laughs> where his emotions are on this, but I will say this sort of messaging to the public is dangerous. Well, when I think science, I think Van Morrison. And I trust his <laughs> opinion. Everything. When I think of Van Morrison, I think high risk. <laughs> that guy, if anybody is going to die of COVID, it's Van Morrison. You, you know who's like kind of the unsung hero? Uh, D. Snyder came out. I guess a lot yeah, of people man. were using like, we're not going to take it oh, about no, masks. It's like an anti-mask. Yeah. Oh, and then no. D. Snyder was like, yo, do not use my song for any of that. All right, D. He's always been on like the right side of his. That's a weird thing. Yeah, <laughs> like in America, he, he testified in front of the Senate. Yeah, yeah, man, like yeah. eloquently and well back in the day. In Tip America, for whatever reason, in America, famous musicians who come out in favor of terrible things always also make terrible music. <laughs> like you don't have to be conflicted at all. In England, I think maybe there's too much good music or something. Yeah. And there's just bound to happen. Yeah. But in America it's all fucking Ted Nugent and Smash Mouth. Did you hear okay uh, <laughs> oh. we haven't Let's not shit go on, off the deep oh, should no. I hit breaking it's news in, again. This isn't Chapo Trapo so all right, so we haven't we haven't shit on Smash Mouth in like probably six months. Yeah. Uh but at least er- twenty four hours. Uh, <laughs> so there was a big event in Sturgill. Uh was oh. it Sturgill North Dakota? I don't even know where Sturgill is. There was a big, like, it's an annual, like, biker whatever event. And, uh, and they held it this year. And uh, Smash Mouth performed live. And it's been linked to, like, a quarter of a million COVID tests. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no. Steve Harwell. I might as well be walking on the sun, man. You're talking about Sturgis? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's in um, uh, South Dakota. South Dakota. That's terrible. Yeah, no, I heard that. <sighs> but so I guess I got to stop listening <sighs> to Smash Mouth now. <laughs> Van Morrison, we hope you stay on the right side of history on this one, buddy. And uh, we thank you to Spin Magazine for uh, their excellent reporting. Ah, great breaking news. Should great we get back news. into the soundtrack? Yeah, Let's Nikki, do it. what do we got next? This is track eight, Sly and the Family Stone. I want to take you higher. I love Sly. I love Sly. We actually, I feel like we, I don't know if we've ever talked about Sly and the Family Stone on the podcast. Great band. I kind of like the later stuff. I would say like um, there's a riot going on and fresh. This is, this is like in the Woodstock era of kind of like freak hippie. I think I listened to Sly and the Family Stone so much that I can't differentiate if we've done it in an episode or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I listen to it a lot. But uh, yes, the last time uh, that I heard anything about Sly in the news before reading about something today was when he was living out of a uh, RV in LA, and that was around 2011. But uh, apparently as of November of uh, last year, in the before times, uh, Sly Stone, uh, Sylvester Stewart, uh, he sold off all of the uh, music publishing rights to uh, Michael Jackson's estate. 
Uh, so they now control the majority share of all of Sly's music. So hopefully mm. he's used the money that he got from that sale to uh, maybe uh, move on up a little bit out of an RV. Well, I think that was a thing. I think it took a lot of like legal battling because he lost his mind and dropped out. And then, uh, okay. cause he was like a, a young musical prodigy, kind of like a, you know, maybe one of these stories that's become a little bit of a cliche and what he was like a, a young prodigy and then got into drugs and got huge and then kind of like freaked out and disappeared. Right. I think there was probably a legal fight for him to even get those rights to be able to sell them. Yeah. He sold them to, uh, this uh, Michael Jackson's publishing company started in the eighties is called my Jack. And, uh, I guess the day that they, <laughs> That he, uh, you know, completed the sale. Like they're like, Sly, do you have any, uh, you have anything to say? He's like, Thank you, my Jack, for letting me be myself again. <laughs> oh, and that was his only line. I was like, All right. That's a fucking James Brown show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to see um, Sly Stone's uh, decline, you can see him uh, pretty out of his mind on the Dick Cavett show. There's some great old clips of that, and he's like visibly intoxicated on who knows but uh and (laughs) i think there was one with him and maybe muhammad ali and they're getting into it or or. dick cavett always like brought on people that uh he would always kind of be like the father figure yeah you know he would always ask these like super you know kind of like right wing style questions to people and uh Yes, Sly was one of those people for sure. For sure, I, he was on the show a couple of times, but uh, yeah, but yeah, he's uh, it's, it's pretty sad. <laughs> but uh, depends in what mood you're in, you can laugh or cry. Or whatever. I mean, I'm glad he's doing well now. Yeah. I love. Sly. I mean, but like in time, it's like one of the best. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, if you want me to stay, it's like one of my favorite songs. Yeah, this is during the uh, this song is playing during the jousting tournament. Uh, towards, I guess the aforementioned bet was made. Uh, and then Jocelyn, Shannon Sossman, tells William, if you truly love me, you'll lose. And then Rare Earth played during his losing. <laughs> I think and that then, that is great writing. Because I, that's like, you know, the win for me thing is is like such a trope. And it like doesn't mean anything. Because the guy wants to fucking win anyways. And mm-hmm. it's like, maybe, oh, he wanted to win so bad that he like won. It's like, no, it's like the idea she's, you know, taking agency. It's like, yeah, if you want to like show your love, you got to do something that you don't already want to do. I think that is a toxic relationship from no. the get go. Yeah, he, he spots it. He's like, wait, you're just like a dumb person. Yeah. No, no, man. It's like it proves to her because this is this is an era where it's like they're not spending a lot of time together and everybody is like talking in fucking weird prose everybody's ta- like yelling, like speaking in poetry to each other yelling poetry up at a balcony or something it's like who is this guy that's like, courtship yeah, yeah. It, so it's like yeah you gotta show me wear my uh, scarf during the thing and you're like my lady <laughs> I thought that this I thought this was a very I thought it was clever mm. and then she turns around at enough where they don't they don't bankrupt each other themselves i feel like there maybe should have been a little bit of more explanation of how this guy is the best jouster Jouster. in the fucking world no it's just that he he leans in when everyone leans back he's too stupid to know that he's gonna go blind (laughs) but the thing is that everybody else yeah they're all everybody else is rich kids with a bunch of stuff to lose where it's like oh i don't want to get blinded because i've got my castles It's true. Yeah, uh, I'm actually a general in the army, and I've, I've actually got a lot to do after I'm actually this tournament. Prince Edward, yeah. I have like a lot of administrative stuff to do after yeah. the tournament. I don't want to get like blinded. But uh, I don't know. I think if any, there's uh, nothing to lose. 
<laughs> Nothing to lose. Well, that, that Annie flies way too close to the sun. Like, he was making, like, buco bucks, you know. Yeah, he's <laughs> derelict. And he could have just, like, taken that money. He's like, no, I got to win them all That's, and then go. He gets, like, like, a... So, part of... I, I don't know if something was edited out or if this is just the way that the movie is, but he gets fixated on that one asshole. Yeah. He doesn't show himself to be that much of an asshole until much later. No, he he shows himself to be an asshole right at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a dick where he's like, oh, who are you? Like, you got old armor. And that guy's like, I don't care about money anymore. All I care about is beating this one guy. And it's like, is this the only person that's ever made fun of you in your life? <laughs> I mean, that Annie was macking on the the love of his life, Jocelyn. I bought that part about it. Yeah, but There's- it's like, this guy's not even around for months. And he's still like, what? If he's not there, then I didn't win. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, he probably should have died of like gangrene on the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, don't you want to like fucking save your father out of poverty? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's so true. I, he should have walked away with, you know, I don't know how many gold furloughs or whatever towards the end when rufus sewell he reveals himself to be even more evil than he was supposed to be yeah. uh which is great but it's like yeah mm. i don't know why you're fixated on some dude <laughs> everything's going true. great man yeah and and it's, it's not like jocelyn liked him at all yeah. jocelyn was like yeah that guy's an asshole i yeah, really don't like he's like oh that fucking creep i don't like that creep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guys i do have track nine queued up for us do it, Let's do it. this is thin lizzie the boys are back in town they were asking if you were around how you was where you could be found I told them you were living downtown driving all the old men crazy This is such a jam. It's such a jam <laughs> that almost eclipses the embarrassment of referring to yourself as the boys. The boys. Which, <laughs> the boys. <laughs> Here come the come boys. On, come on, man. <laughs> I, I love Thin Lizzy. They were a huge band for me when I was like Hell learning yeah. music as I a kid. I love Thin Lizzy. But uh, this is definitely my least favorite Thin Lizzy song. Really? Oh, come on. Yeah. I think this even, is a jam. Even at the t- like when you first heard it and stuff? I couldn't get enough of the song when I was like, you know, in eighth grade. It was grade. really never my thing. I think the first time I heard it was probably in Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny enough. This is such a jam. There's like, I feel like there's several Ted Leo songs. Maybe I'm just thinking of one. There's like some Ted Leo songs that are like as close to a cover of this as you can do where it's not a cover. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, some Sweet Timorous Me or so. Anyways, this is a great song. This was a song that they had no intention of putting on their album uh this is kind of of a similar story to the uh david bowie style writing thing where um you know the lead singer and bassist uh phil linett who's a amazing performer not to shit on phil linett but most of the time when he would come into the studio he would just pluck out a couple of notes on the bass and be like pretty good right (laughs) and the guys are like uh, I mean, so that was kind of the story with Boys Are Back in Town. He had like a few chords put together and like maybe a vocal mumble. <laughs> and uh, the two guitarists really, you know, worked it out with him. But they... Um, the lyrics don't leave much to the imagination. Yeah. Boys Are Back. The, Come on! The, the Boys Are Back in Town! <laughs> they, Twelve uh, times, sorry. Yeah, they were recording it for their Jailbreak album, which they didn't intend on putting on the album at all. And... 
this was like a breaking point for them. They were famous in Ireland, but they hadn't really broken in the States yet. Mm-hmm. And they were playing a gig in America and their label manager heard them play the song live and like went to them after the show and was like, guys, boys, we got it. Boys, we got a hit. We got a hit on our hands. They were like, I don't know if we want to do that, but they just heeded the label advice and it ended up because, you know, this is their most popular song. Yeah, this yeah. Is the fucking- I don't know. Why were they like, I don't know. I don't know, guys. uh, A lot of the towns we go, we've never even been to before, so it seems a little disingenuous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And maybe you guys could shed some uh, insight on this, but I have heard the sort of um, urban legend that... uh, So, Dublin, when Thin Lizzy would play, when they were in Dublin, like their fans were just monsters and would just destroy (laughs) like whatever venue they were at. And uh, the boys are back in town was like... Uh, like a bartender or like a, a music manager, venue manager going like, ah, the boys are back in town. Like, Jesus Christ, like they're going to destroy our fucking shit. And then they made it kind of into a joke. And then that was the, like, I think it was something the song was lines. inspired yeah. by sense. that. Like it was named for, it wasn't like, Oh, my friends are back. It was like, Oh, our, our monster fan hordes are here and they're going to destroy this <laughs> yeah. venue. Ireland is famous for working nev- class. never wanting it's to a working see class people anthem. ever yeah. again. It's like, Oh God, I hope they don't come back. <laughs> glass and people that song um, was used in a uh commercial for wrangler jeans sounds about right <laughs> and um was brett Favre throwing a football or something <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's probably one of the best pun themed band names maybe next to the beatles thin lizzie it's uh the tin lizzie was the old model t i think it was it was uh it was one of the old i never knew that yeah, there you wow. go over my head it might have been a different Jeez. car but it was one of the original cars they would call it a tin lizzie you may remember a cover of boys are back in town from the detroit rock city soundtrack oh, covered yeah. by everclear yeah. which, which we may have to get to on a upcoming episode i would love it. yeah i'd love it portland that <laughs> <laughs> was playing when they uh, returned to london and hadn't been back there and this was you know leading up to the big grand tournament at the end oh yes but they descend upon london for the championship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on some <laughs> <laughs> some sort of uh i guess the only way to london is like some charon oh yeah the weird like, river the river sticks the guy yeah. like, like moves a chain <laughs> Which is like there's like thirty four miles in between you it's, know France. I mean, and there's England. a lot I of know. I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of rivers in that area. That's, um, that's first true. of all, it's always nighttime and always foggy. <laughs> yeah. It's a spooky place, London. <laughs> mm-hmm. hey, I was seriously like watching this. I was I was terrified to think of my ancestors. Fucking dude, just life must have sucked. Oh god, like, just living in squalor. Wait, so Caleb did 23 and me and his results just No, said, no, I haven't, but I've, I'm... You know, <laughs> your life your sucked! <laughs> well, your I'm, life sucked! Browns, okay, yeah. so it, it, in, in genealogy, in English genealogy... So are the, you of noble birth? No, the last name... We can forge it's it. like, uh, you get your name, if you're noble at all, or even sometimes if you're not, you're named after the place that you're from, or uh-huh. the place that you own. So it's like, that's like the Sheffield or whatever, so I don't know. And then uh, a lot of people are named after like the thing you do, like the Thatcher, mm-hmm. like uh, William. William Thatcher, his his father like so makes roofs thatched and thatches, roofs, he thatches yeah. roofs. And uh, I do have like my one of my grandparents is a porter, which is like you run it in, but it's like Thatcher Cooper. These are all Taylor, uh, <laughs> like. Uh, Jobs. I'm a brown, which is like, if there's nothing else to say about you, you're just like, he's got brown hair. <laughs> it's like, yeah, C- uh, Caleb Brown. <laughs> you just kind of shrug at somebody. 
<laughs> and uh and, and i have browns on both sides of the family so just some real peasant All scum right. Love it. cream of the crop maybe <laughs> yeah. as we are coming up on a break oh yeah coming up on a break at the end of the episode we are going to add a track to the track listing spotify playlist our favorite anachronistic song or one of our favorites and when we come back we do have a game prepared by caleb brown i put together a caleb game brown Ooh, i'm excited you guys are gonna hate this one. Oh, stick with us Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Tracklisting Podcast. We want to hear from you. So if you've got a soundtrack recommendation, a suggestion, a review, uh, did I mispronounce something, or uh, if you just want to hurl insults at us, or you just want to say, hey, uh, please reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at Tracklisting Podcast, Twitter at Tracklisting Pod, or email us tracklistingpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, uh, why don't you tell a friend that you think might enjoy it as well? Uh, or maybe tell two. Yeah. And they tell two friends. And, and they, they tell, tell two friends. friends. And they <laughs> tell two friends. <laughs> that's how you start a movement. Yeah. And also, uh, if you like the recommendations we've got, uh, you can check out our official track listing playlist on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Tell, tell people about the, the playlist on Spotify. And then they'll tell two friends. And, and they'll, they'll tell two friends. friends. <laughs> we love y'all. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Tracklisting with the soundtrack to A Knight's Tale. But before we get back, we do have a game prepared by Caleb Brown. Take it away, Caleb. Thank you, Nikki. This week, I have a game. I've dusted off an old one. Been a little bit inspired by, I guess, the Blade soundtrack and also the Baby Driver soundtrack to a lesser degree uh, to dust off our game MC Synopsis. Yes. <laughs> there we yes. go. Yeah, how do, what's this game? All right, I'm going to play you, uh, I, in four rounds, I'm going to play you clips uh, from songs that, uh, for the most part, play during the closing credits of movies in the uh, the, the artistic form of rap music, describe mm. a plot of a film, mm. <laughs> and you gotta you got to really listen in and try to tell me uh, what movie it belongs to and what movie it's describing. Okay, you piqued my interest. These should be yeah. pretty easy, but I do have hints to help you along if you guys get stuck. Uh, let's hear the clue to round one. This is round one, clue one. Mark with the mouse. I can't die one foot in the grave, but I'm still alive. Try to kill me, I'll just revive. Then I'll put another bullet right between your eyes. I'm dangerous, feeling reckless. Squeeze your neck like I was a necklace. Jump, flip, and leave them headless. I like my guns all big like Texas. Like my guns big like Texas. Okay, Dead, You'll Revive. This is a superhero type movie. It sounds like... This is from 2016. It's way late for a song to sound like that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's happening with the music Oh, I should have said at the beginning of the game, these are all bad songs. (laughs) Okay. I want to say that sounded a lot like The Punisher from the description. Like Revive likes his guns big. But who has guns? What superhero has guns besides, like... I know there was... Um, Vin Diesel was in a movie, and he was, like, oh, Bloodshot that, or what's, something? What's that the, was one of the the last movies to be released in, uh, okay, okay. in so that human was, history. That so. was too late, yeah. yeah. My buddy had a funny tweet about um, Sonic the Hedgehog, trying to explain to his kids that Sonic the Hedgehog was the last movie he saw in actual, when <laughs> movies were movies. Oh, yeah. The before times. Before time. um, Alright, let's listen to that great song again. Yeah, I'm thinking Punisher. Listen to the lyrics. Clue one. Mark with the mouse, I 
can't die One foot in the grave, but I'm still alive Try to kill me, I'll just revive Then I'll put another bullet right between your eyes I'm dangerous, feeling reckless Squeeze your neck like I was a necklace Jump, flip, and leave them headless I like my guns all big like Texas I will say that when this movie came out in 2016 yeah. uh, It was the highest grossing R-rated film Yeah, at I, the time. I got it That's Deadpool Deadpool It's gotta be Alright, let's hear the answer to round one to school with guns and knives Telling jokes and breaking the rules I came for the tacos Playing with the ladies and the family jewels To bust a nut Alright, that was the Deadpool rap By Team Headkick Which is apparently a YouTube group Okay, so Maybe rappers Good job, Chris. Not sure if we're playing together yet, but <laughs> yeah, 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 we're together. together. Yeah, yeah, we're together. I, I'm, we're on teams, dude. <laughs> another thing I should have said uh, <laughs> at the beginning of this, I should have said that all of these songs sound like the Lonely Island made them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right, let's listen to the clue for round two. Clue two. Hmm. This is from With the, interesting. 1988. 1988. It sounded like it. With the face he got, he don't need to shave. They're talking about his grooming a lot. In this movie. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to to clip his nails. Mm-hmm. 1988. 1988. What like Ninja Turtles-y type movie? I know it's not Ninja Turtles, which famously has a T U R T L E power. Um, all right, I have another hint for you, but I want okay. you to listen to the clip one more time. Yeah, let's. I'm going to take my headphones on. I'm not going to listen to it. Okay. But I want you guys to listen to it one more time. Listen to the lyrics. Caleb's down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> I got to leave. I I can't hear the song again, but you guys got to really key into these lyrics. Yeah. Clue two. Okay, yellow teeth. Yellow teeth. Doesn't need to shave. He won't stop. He will never cease. I will say I, this is okay. this is a horror film okay. sequel. I, I was going to say, I from think... From 1988. I think this is Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Talks about fingernails, talks about the face, don't need to shave. Unless Freddy Krueger. Unless it's Jason. Mm. Ooh, is it Jason in the hood? Isn't there one of those... Mm. <sighs> I like... I like Friday the 13th in the like hood Nightmare or something. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. You want to go Jason think, and I'll go Freddy? No, I think I think it's um, I think it's Freddy Krueger. All right, let's hear the answer. So let's Nightmare on Elm Street, maybe Dream Warriors, the third one. Here's the answer to round two. Okay. got like a toe jam and earl production on it <laughs> i should that say that that's Jack actually Slay, what is the name robert Euglund. the that's actually yeah, england 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 that's that's the actor that plays freddy krueger yeah. uh rapping as freddy krueger in are you ready for freddy by the fat boys from a nightmare on elm street for the dream master <laughs> so it. 
You okay. guys don't get Damn points it. on that one. Uh, Dream Warriors is actually pretty good. The second one's terrible. The first one's great. Haven't seen... Too, too scary. Too scary. I think scary. that this was the highest grossing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street until the Freddy vs. Jason. Well, thank you, Fat Boys. Which is also really bad. All right, round <laughs> and three. The, I, I believe the director of uh, Night's Till directed one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, didn't he really? Yeah. It may have been that one. All right. Well, somebody else will have to fact check that. Brian Hegland. Yeah, right. Brian Hegland. Let's listen to the clue for round three here's round three Miami equals black mass black gloves with a little bit of rope to tie I flipped it black suits white shirts black glasses with a matching tie like Agent J or Agent K and I wish the whole world would okay I'm trying to make a billion out of 15 cents understand understood I'm a hope ooh any ideas I know that voice that was uh Mr. Worldwide that's right Pitbull. Pitbull. This is from 2012. I know that voice. (laughs) Uh, Caleb, I do have a fun fact for you. The director of Night's Tale is not the director, but is the writer of Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. (laughs) Oh, wow. Hey, nice connection. He's written a lot of... I knew uh, I remembered He wrote like LA Confidential. He's written a lot of great great movies. And also some okay movies. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, (laughs) back to the game. Back to the game. 2012. This is another superhero type thing. Can we hear it one more time? I'm sorry. Let's do it one more time. Sorry, I'm sorry. Clue three. Clue three, baby. Miami equals black mass, huh? black gloves with a little bit of rope to tie. I flipped it, black suits, white shirts, black glasses with a matching tie. Like Agent J or Agent K, and I wish the whole world would. Okay, I'm trying to make a billion out of 15 cents. Understand, understood, I'm a hope. I'm thinking maybe one of the Men in Black, see, maybe Men in Black 3. 2012? Was that the last? The last Men in Black was three. That's not That's true. Not- but let's hear the answer to round three. Okay, I think it's it's the third one. I got the globe in the palm of my hand. Wherever I spin it, that's where I land. Let's save the world, Men in Black. I know you understand. That is uh, right. Pitbull nice was back in time from Men in Black 3. All right. Which is the one that's actually okay. Will Smith goes back in time. Uh, Josh, Josh Brolin, Brolin yeah. is, uh, yeah. And then the they, young Tommy Lee Jones. There is a fourth one, the Men in Black International. That's right. Bombed. All right. I'm feeling pumped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing I'm all right. Feeling good. We're doing all right. right. One more round. Let's hear it. How many of these songs are good? All right. <laughs> Let's hear. The answer is none. Here's clue four. Uh, this clue is four. one of my favorite things. <laughs> Alright, this is from 2006. You guys are nodding at each other. Ah, uh, that's not what I was thinking though, as far as the year. So I'm a little bit off. I think this is Grandma's Boy. Grandma's Boy. I think. And that was the exact because that was the exact plot <laughs> to Grandma's it's Boy. Just singing the plot. It's like you got you got high, then the grandma came and put him to shame with the video game. Let's hear the answer, <laughs> to, clue the answer to clue four. Really, uh, on the news. Oh, man. That is uh, Cool Keith and Cutmaster Kurt with Grandma's Boy. I, like, <laughs> oh, boy. I think this is the, the listicle that we need to make. Uh, <laughs> ten songs that 
10 rap songs that describe the entire plot of a movie that they were paid to like it's such a funny genre of music uh, i'm so glad uh, oh, thank you Kayla. hey you guys are great yeah no i feel i feel you really like good. Good. on that uh nightmare on elm street one you didn't get even God. close to that you, you believe that uh brian Eglund wrote the fourth <laughs> nightmare on elm street he he wrote directed and produced a knight's tale and uh heath ledger was like an unknown he was like a uh he was the son in patriot and is this was before? Like, is, was it before Ten Things I Hate About You? Uh, yes, he saw the uh, the rushes from Patriot and was okay. like, "I want to get Heath Ledger. Looks pretty good Pe- to me." Peak Ledger, man. We Peak should say Ledge. Heath Ledger, is like, Ledge. A, like a real piece of ass in this film. Golden guy. Ooh. He has dreads early on. And yeah. Oh yeah, he really. Yeah, like a little... he's, a, he, he's a kid that really grew into his hair. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Uh, Nikki, what do we got? We going back to the soundtrack. We're coming back in on the soundtrack. We've got track 10. This is Carter Burwell with One of Your Own. And so, I'm afraid without any ado whatsoever, here he is, One of Your Own, born a stone's throw from this very stadium, and here before you now, the son of John Thatcher. So, all right I, I will say that this is um demonstrating the propensity of 90s soundtracks to include unwanted uh, audio clips from the film it's like I, yeah if you're playing this you don't want to hear it but i should say is great yeah. as chaucer mm-hmm. we haven't talked about the cast much no not much at all i, I was bringing up the cast right now um we got to talk about his I can't remember the actor's name, but one of his sidekicks, it turned out to be, he was Robert Baratheon in Game yeah. of Thrones. Mark Addy yeah, plays Mark Roland, Addy. and then Alan Tudyk. Uh, Alan Tudyk is like... Uh, Firefly fame. Firefly everyone. in... He was like in Rogue One. He was the voice mm-hmm. of the robot, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, people love Alan Tudyk. Alan, I think. Alan Tudyk's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like very unneeded in this film. Unneeded. Unneeded. Completely. <laughs> I was like one less sidekick and then they gain like two more. They didn't even need two to begin with and they gain two additional sidekicks and they do nothing. In my, I was like remembering the film. I was like, oh yeah, Alan Tudyk's in it. He's great. And it's like, he's fine. But it's like, there's no narrative purpose for Alan Tudyk to be in this film. No. I should also say Tucker and Dale versus Evil. If you guys haven't seen that, that was like a little bit of a, uh, in the early days, I think of Netflix of like, oh, there's a great film on Netflix that nobody's ever seen. It is a great film. Yeah. That's like a little bit turning the, like on its head, the, the horror genre. Horror genre. Uh, yeah. But Alan Tudyk, yeah, this is a great cast. I've always like Ruva Sewell, great bad guy. Mm-hmm. We should mention that uh, Carter Burwell is the film composer for A Night's Tale. Yeah. And uh, there is a disc two of the soundtrack that is all of his score all that score. Uh, has been scrubbed. <laughs> No, no, I have it. <laughs> you got it. Caleb found it. it. He He's purchased a, it on the dark web. Yeah, Caleb's got this source. <laughs> and uh, We've heard from Carter Burwell on a couple of episodes before. We've heard from him on the soundtrack to Wayne's World 2. Mm-hmm. Check out that episode. And we've also heard from him on the uh, Big Lebowski soundtrack. Yeah. That's the one I remember. He's very well known for composing the music to most of the Coen Brothers films. Yeah. Oh, shit. Blood man. Simple, Fargo. He's in yeah. a lot. He's Basically a lot. all the Coen Brothers movies. And um, he was kind of charged with an interesting job you know from brian hagland in this movie of like you know the anachronistic music and he had to come up with a score that was going to bridge the gap in between to find the connective tissue how to get into certain songs yeah and um 
as we talked about previously, uh, for Golden Years is maybe the best example of his work where he got a hold of the original master uh, multitracks for Golden Years with David Bowie's permission. And he, the scene starts out as a formal kind of court dance and then segues into when Golden Years plays and turns into like a, like a party dance scene. Yeah. But you can hear him do basically like a medieval... Uh, instrumental arrangement of golden years that segues very very smoothly into uh the downbeat of uh, golden years and apparently david bowie was so interested in how that was going to sound he stopped by the studio and uh was like hmm, yeah, that's pretty good and then it kind of disappeared into the <laughs> into the shadows <laughs> to a giant dust of cocaine yeah he yeah exactly did a labyrinth <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. into a crystal ball nothing more nothing less <laughs> But uh, yeah, Carter Burwell's a fantastic film composer. Oh yeah, and the soundtrack—I mean, the the score of this movie is pretty good. I would say the uh, so this is the speech he's giving. It's um <laughs> so at this point in the movie, the main character who is—he's been pretending to be a noble so that he can compete in the tournaments, and then he's been outed as being a peasant, mm-hmm. and then filthy lowborn. He's like, uh, <laughs> how dare you? He's like accidentally—I want to say—befriended. He's he's gained the respect of. I guess the Prince of England or a Duke or I can't remember. Prince Edward, who is in line to be the king. Which is a great actor. I remember him from uh, HBO's Rome. He's been in a bunch of stuff. But uh, so he gets like, he gets reunited and that's a way he can like uh, show up to this tournament at the end. But a little bit of his reuniting is that the prince like vouches for him saying that he actually is noble Mm -hmm. and that he's not low born. Yeah. And there's been a group, there's been a mistake. But then Chaucer comes out and is like, he's just a peasant like everybody else. You're like, oh. like Chaucer. Shut the fuck up. Golly. You know, and yeah, and part of it is, uh, <laughs> part of that thing is, um, I guess Prince Edward is like, um, oh, we, our historians made a mistake and oh. now we've corrected that mistake and that he goes back generations. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, I feel like maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I'm, I've been led to believe that there's a little bit of a framework for like knighting people. There's like the squires and then mm-hmm. that's how kind of like your way up. It's like you basically become a soldier, or whatever you can be knighted, you know, anybody can be knighted, you know, in, in our current situation, like people can be knighted, like fucking Elton John gets knighted. Yeah. He's, yeah. And so I was kind of expecting a little bit of like, I fought this guy. He's a knight if I've ever met one, but instead he's like, Oh, you know, there's a, got a old book. He's a knight. Yeah. He's it was, a uh, there were two scrolls stuck together and then we found, uh, the scroll that's, uh, I feel like I could have been like, this guy's an all right guy, right? This guy's okay. I, as I've mentioned before, the medieval nerds would have lost it because it was just not the case. It was like, oh no, you had to be born. Like lineage was the only way out of just horrible poverty. You had to be either like yeah. married yeah, into it or something, true. but like, yeah. It's uh, it was the Dark Ages is what a lot of people <laughs> refer to the medieval times. Mm-hmm. Shall we get into the next track? Let's do it. This is track eleven. This is Robbie Williams in Queen with "We Are the Champions." I thank you all, but it's been no bad roses, no pleasure cruise. I consider it a challenge for the whole.
Just when you thought Queen couldn't get any better, in comes Robbie Williams, of all people. <laughs> Before Adam Lambert, obviously. I know. I was When I listened to it, I was like, oh, yeah, the whole thing about like how they finally found their perfect frontman with uh, Adam Lambert. It's like, no, they've been trying to figure out a way to like tour without Freddie Mercury for fucking years. <laughs> I do have to give a shout out to the uh, music supervisor for A Night's Tale for including We Are the Champions uh, with... We will rock you on the same soundtrack as in the UK. That was the original A side B side release, mm. and for some reason, the US release of that was just a double A side with nothing on the B side. Kind of interesting. Interesting. And um, that is like probably the greatest one-two punch for Jock Jamdom that's ever existed. <laughs> I know. It's pretty it's, wild. We will rock you, and then after we rock you, we're going to be the champions. Huey Lewis had an album named Sports, and he couldn't compete with us. <laughs> he can't even get in the stadium. <laughs> he tried, He can't man. even get airplay in the stadium. <laughs> uh, I'm going to count this as a bad cover. <laughs> We haven't heard too much from Robbie Williams recently, but uh, there has been a resolution to the long-standing lawsuit between Robbie Williams and Jimmy Page oh. over their uh, property. You guys know about this lawsuit that's been going on. <laughs> Please enlighten us. Uh, Nick LaGrosta, yeah. Esquire. <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of BBC. <laughs> Jimmy Page is the owner of basically like this amazing castle manor in London, mm-hmm. and you know the the home was built by robert bruges in the 1700s it's this amazing place and at some point robbie williams moved in next door (laughs) (laughs) and robbie williams from take that from take that and started uh there's been like noise complaints filed against robbie williams you know he's been kind of a terrible neighbor and he's he wanted to build a super basement uh, on his property, he wanted to. This do is an a ex- trend of the hyper wealthy in the UK. This is these ultimate yes. super and basements, they, and then they just like fight about it. So Robbie Williams oh, I wanted get it. I fucking get it. He wanted to uh, dig this tunnel from the main part of his house into this super basement that was like a huge gym and an underground pool lair mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Page was very worried that uh, that type of construction was going to just, like, damage the uh, his you know, property in some way. Rock they the say that the, the UK's taxes on the rich are just crippling. They can't. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but apparently, it's... they after three rounds of negotiations with, like, their local district, uh, yeah. Robbie Williams has gotten approved oh, thank God. to build the super basement. Oh, and thank goodness. Jimmy Page and Robbie Williams have made up. Paving the way for the next Fallout video game. <laughs> Robbie, take that themed Fallout. It's like, all right, Robbie, I get to use your pool on Tuesdays. You can come and use my underground theater and then have a tunnel to my it's place. Just like this just, wealthy nonsense going on in the UK. Just oh, boo-hoo. But also, how does it feel to be the man, Jimmy Page? An old dude complaining about your neighbors? Come on, man. That's not rock. Have you forgotten about Frodo (laughs) on his journey? Come on. Rock and roll. Have you forgotten about Mordor? (laughs) In reality, it would probably kind of suck to live next to Robbie Williams. No, I'm sure it'd be a nightmare. But anyway, uh, Chris, do you have something for us? I do. So there's uh, new trends such as uh, hyper, super mega basements in the UK. (laughs) There's a a brand new... uh, 
genre of music that I discovered uh, while doing some research for this. Uh, it's co- Are you guys familiar with uh, Bardcore? They said that they couldn't invent any more genres. But like know. the college. Bardcore. Bardcore, <laughs> as in a bard. medieval bard oh, or okay. tavern wave. You guys know tavern Shakespearean wave? Shakespearean rock? You guys know about tavern wave? I'm oh, like dude. having flashbacks to our like vapor core uh, glow-fi conversation. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what this is, but Hit I us. don't like where it's going. Hit us. So there's a movement that's kind of like starting in like Ren Fairs and it's covering songs, but in like medieval-y sort of ways. And my favorite ones... Uh, they sort of twist the the lyrics around to make them more uh, medievally. Dude, uh, my twenty three in me says that this is going to appeal to my to my sensibilities. I am so on board. <laughs> That's but a also, very specific result. But there's, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, they're good. They're really yeah, good. I know twenty three in me. Yeah. Please, on top of it. Uh, but in addition Off to culture. that, a Knight's Tale specifically has been like guys, we gotta remake this movie with a bardcore soundtrack. <laughs> Remember that thing everybody remembers about this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every word you're saying right now is making me frustrated. <laughs> but right. I think it would go well. And I just, I found some of my favorite bardcore jams because I'm, I'm full on tavern <laughs> wave right now. If you just want to maybe just, what's that? What's that first one I've got? Uh, I think I see something titled Fortunate Son. Yeah, let's just check out what, you know, A Knight's Ooh, Tale could like sound a, like. This has been in the news. With a bardcore song, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Trump's been playing this at his rallies. I don't know if it's this version. Some folk are born made to fly the banners Oh, they red, white and blue And when the bard plays hay to the king Oh, they point the trebuchet at ye lord Tisn't me, tisn't me I ain't no nobleman's kin This is like, uh, we are in a whole nother reality right now This seems very like current Guy Ritchie to me I feel like Guy Ritchie's gonna do like a uh, some sort of. I mean, this would a fortunate son. The, the the lyrics fit. Everything fits a knight's tale. I let's uh, let's follow the white rabbit on this one. Yeah, what's <laughs> what's the next song that could appear in a knight's tale? This really makes me upset to say this out loud, but pumped up kicks. I believe so. Yeah, let's let's see what that uh, sounds like in Tavern Wave. Oh, dear. Robert hath a swift hand. He doth gaze upon the field and he maketh a plan And he hath a jointy cap <laughs> Perched upon his head he is a long old man He did find an old bow of you And a quiver of arrows in his father's chest Wherefore I cannot say But he cometh for thee It was probably only a couple episodes ago I was talking about the the kind of bureaucratical nightmare of, of <laughs> copyright law and how yeah. to cover a song you couldn't change any words. Oh. Uh, but I my opinion has been changed. They have to change it because it's the, an- you the full hand of the law has to come down on this scum. <laughs> This is a travesty. Oh, I believe. I think it's. I think it's beautiful. I love that you can't have any modern technology in it. You have to say goeth and frometh. And- I am. I am moving straight into track twelve. Oh. This is, you, that's fine. This is. That's fine. This is Dan Powell with pieces. <laughs> 
That is uh, Pieces by Dan Powell. Dan Powell, not a ton of information about uh, this composer. Uh, the only like weird tidbit that I could connect was that he played brass on a song that was sampled by Dr. Packer that we've talked oh, about okay. on nice. Tracklist. Yeah, yeah. I'll say, but, yeah, uh, this soundtrack has thrown us into the deep end of the early 2000s pretty, uh, pretty abruptly. This is a... <laughs> I'm still in sinking in some quicksand from Chris's uh, <laughs> Bardcore, and I'm looking at... It looks like there's another couple of songs he's got. I mean, I, I selected these because I think they would go perfect in the Knight's Tale remake, This is so This I, one looks like know. it's this titled is... Total Eclipse of the Heart. Well, I mean, that's the modern, yes. But. Oh, no. I am the devil by last central tortured by the sound of my tears. A sense of foreboding and herself that my heyday was confined to days that ceased long ago. <laughs> the hardest I mean, like an ill and then I turn my gaze upon the Periodically my wits forsake. I think the reality is that all you know this song and the others they're, they're songs that have been passed down from generation to generation you know i mean like are they saying gravy heart <laughs> pray the heart i believe or uh, oh my god that is you can look up the lyrics a lot of these were done by a gentleman that, named cornelius link uh there's another atrocious. guy named marcus aurelius um Oh. I love the steadfast and unwavering, like, well, we have to put the lyrics in the correct uh, vernacular. If not, wh- yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> but that is, uh, that is pretty wild. Have you guys ever been to a Ren, Ren Fair? I never have. I really want to. No, I have not. I remember eating a burger in a place and seeing, uh, in, like, a park across the street. I saw some people, like, LARPing with, like, uh, <laughs> like yeah. fake swords and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I understand that more than, like, Ren Fair culture, maybe. Because at least it's, like, you're doing an activity. Maybe. No, actually, you no. know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna slag on Ren Fair. I, I think that, that looks like fun. I would do it. I wouldn't do it, but I, I'm, like, more on board with the Ren Fair. On that if you're, like, you're going to a thing and you're doing the thing. I don't know if going to the park and, like, pretending you're gonna, like stab each other with like foam swords i was in rhode island and i saw people basically doing ren fair but like 1920s and they were all eating at this restaurant i was at and i was like (laughs) what is going on and then i kind of was eavesdropping and they were talking as if they were in you know the 1920s or something or it was like they're talking about taft being president so i'm not sure when he was so even before then it was like turn of the century this reminds me of when i was working at uh this theater in central park and there was a guy that would stand outside the theater every afternoon uh busking but uh basically performing bardcore yeah yeah you know and like people would just lean out from the door (laughs) shut up (laughs) what's it that might have been Jethro Toll. I don't know. Was this <laughs> he, on Broadway? Was he playing a flute? <laughs> it was, One leg up. It How was many? Ian Anderson, and he was uh, flute talking. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but he said, guys, we are coming in on the last track. Nice. Ooh, give it to me. This is track 13. This is Third Eye Blind with Eye Conqueror. I'm 
no soundtrack from 2001 would be complete without a song by Third Eye Blind. <laughs> and this is a uh, this is a song that they wrote for the movie. I feel like a, amongst the chaos of the bardcore that we're experiencing, we, we haven't <laughs> remarked upon the precipitous decline of this soundtrack. That we've really gone down a fucking early 2000s cliff. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. Like, what happened? <laughs> they just squeezed <laughs> in, like, three tracks at the end. Just... But... Is yeah. This, in this the... one doesn't even appear in the movie. Okay. Oh, no. doesn't even appear in the movie. Not even over the credit. This is such Not a credit song. This is super synopsis. <laughs> but um, it, Third Eye Blind has been uh, playing some parking lot concerts uh, oh, in 2020. Perfect. Um, and I know for that all the, the super fans that are st- yeah. just longing to hear Third Eye Blind live right just now from risk a parking your life. lot. <laughs> I know that the main guy like screwed everybody else out of the band, and now it's just him. Wait, what's the story there? I didn't know that. It was early on. It, I think I've talked about this on another episode, but it was him and then I think uh, it, like maybe lead guitar player were the principal songwriters. And then there was some fighting over, I don't know if it was royalties or just band leadership. Mm-hmm. And the lead singer, like uh, he won out, the guitar player got the oh, boot. I and then it was just like that. the fucking, <laughs> apparently he's got a lot of work done lately. The weird fucking... <laughs> Weird looking dude stomping around in bare feet and then whoever he fills out the band with. <laughs> Wait, it looks like there is another Bardcore track. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it looks like I missed one. Yeah. It I looks was, like this uh, one is uh, I was gonna somebody that I that. used to know. Yeah. If we could hear a little bit of that. That is the soundtrack to Night's Tale sequel. <laughs> yeah, I will say that the, the Gautier song is low-hanging fruit for the Bardcore people. That's true. That's like almost already Bardcore. Well, did you notice... Uh, it's an ancient th- tune. <laughs> yeah. An ancient tale. Have your friend collect your minstrel. Or have a, a cart collect your minstrel and never return my letters. Um, oh, yeah. my goodness. So good. Well, uh, if you go on YouTube and search uh, Bardcore... <laughs> Or uh, Tavern Wave, as of... Uh, <laughs> uh, you'll see a lot of these music videos. Thank you to Cornelius Link, uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, I think. Somebody of, like, Hilgum Bob. I, uh, I'll, I'll credit, I'll credit <laughs> Some you. Some gobbledygook. Some gobbledygook. But they all uh, have, like, videos of, like, you know, g- gilded manuscripts and tapestries and stuff. And, like, the detail behind it is, is beyond me. I, I'm so impressed. I mean, the execution is admirable. <laughs> But the goal is terrible. Yes. I mean, it's the same. You know, the question is why. <laughs> oh man, awful taste, but These great execution. These are the people that are going to give us some one star reviews. Oh no, word's going to get out. Hey, I'm here to defend Tavern Wave. I'm, uh, I'm on board. It's going to be big, you guys. Bardcore. Right, well, setting Tavern Wave aside, we do have to rate and review uh, the Knight's Tale soundtrack. Yeah, that is. Uh, that was all thirteen tracks. Thirteen tracks. Uh, Chris, do you want to lead off? How do you feel about the soundtrack? I think you know, kind of agreeing with you a minute ago, Caleb. Uh, it takes a deep dive towards the. This end is there. some fucking Coney Island soundtrack <laughs> shit. Like it's a long crank up, and then here we go. <laughs> just down the cyclone as we go. <laughs> and, you know, I got a docket for just like. 
playing some songs that you know maybe in 2001 were already a little repetitive or, or we had heard again and again by that time but i don't think that takes away from some classic music i think sly and the family stone's awesome i don't hear enough of them i'm gonna give this an 8.3 we haven't said 8.3 uh mutton chops what it would chicken legs uh 8.3 jousting lancelots lances. we didn't come up with a good one we should really talk about this before the episode the punted lance <laughs> all right nikki how do you feel about this 8.3 is that what it yeah 8.3 8.3 thank you chris yeah. i'm gonna say out of 13 tracks 15 15 13 oh sorry tracks. 13 tracks 15 stars Yes, I'm going to say out of the 13 tracks, you've got Lowrider, I think that's a good song, Golden Years, David Bowie, Sly and the Family Stone, I Want to Take You Higher, Thin Lizzy, Boys Are Back in Town, Queen, question mark for me always. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to have to give this an 8.0. 8.0. Okay, this is... uh it's a funny soundtrack to me. I mean, there we can we can come out and say there are no fucking uh, deep cuts on here, no hidden gems. It's all songs that you either already know or songs that you don't want to hear again. A wedding or something. Ah, Golden Years. I'm always so happy to hear Golden Years. Yeah, true, um, true. So many of these songs I love. That heart song I fucking love. But uh, I I wanna I wanna I feel like I wanna give the soundtrack more stars for how it uses the music in the movie but that's not really what we do here. As a soundtrack, standalone, I will give it a seven. All right. Okay. Pretty okay. Uh, pretty even all around. Yeah. 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 It's Maybe our most even yet. I think so. I thought that I would like it more than I did. I mean, I, I but I do love it, but it's just, it's uh, maybe a little too obvious on the front. I think a lot of the songs also, not that this like has any merit to dictate what makes a good soundtrack or not, but a lot of these songs like were in chronological order. Yeah. 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 I, which I really appreciate. I always do. Um, which would make a ridiculous construct for what makes a good soundtrack. All the songs <laughs> were in order. But it's great. Two stars. What more could you right want? Right off the bat. Yeah. But I do think, you know, I mean, what... You want to see the scene in the movie when you hear the song, you know, and I think that's the goal of a of a, a really amazing soundtrack. And you, with Quentin Tarantino, you can you know you can always remember exactly what right. scene when you hear the thing. But, yeah, I don't. I I do appreciate that. There's there's no like prominently featured songs on the soundtrack that didn't make it onto the actual soundtrack, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. But uh, okay, uh, we do have to move on to recommended tracks, and this is going to be our favorite anachronistic song well, i would say one of our favorite anachronistic songs uh, you can recommend as many as you like <laughs> I don't an anachronistic song. i think i leaned a little bit further into anachronistic and maybe uh not my favorite but this is a song that i like quite a bit we talk kind of regularly and i remember again a couple weeks ago i think i was talking about how much i love soul music but how modern soul sounds uh awkward and overproduced and there's like kind of the discussions of like how i guess like um studio quality kind of ruins some of the uh, gravitas or whatever whatever tone of soul music i really appreciate um so a lot of times when modern bands kind of attempt an old soul sound it sounds really contrived and shitty Mm. but this is a song from 2017 that i actually really really like uh the band is called the flying stars of brooklyn new york and the song is my god has a telephone Find the road when I'm heavy with my 
So this is um, Aaron Fraser of Duran Jones and Indications. These are a couple of groups I don't know much about exactly, but uh, I heard this track a while ago and I really like it. And it's like, I guess they lean so hard into making it sound like an old recording. And like usually that can, kind of, it can put me off, but for some reason this song, I, I just really like it. Do you know I think where that song great. was recorded by any chance? I don't. It, it, it kind of sounds like it was recorded at the, uh, I forget the name of the studio, but it's the uh, it's in Brooklyn, maybe around Minahan Street, but it's where uh, the Dap Kings have their studio. And it's cool. it started out as, you know, or it's still to this day, the, the most digital thing in that studio is probably like someone's watch that they have on. <laughs> Uh, but you know, t- to this day, it's one of the uh, go-to all analog, you know, temples that it still exists. I wouldn't but be it's surprised because it's, it's like, got that sound of the dap tone. Uh, I feel like in, in this time, you really have to go out of your way to make a recording sound like that. And uh, you know, maybe it's just like the uh, the old man brain that I have, but I, I love that sound. Nice, yeah, very cool. Uh, Great right, song. To go next? Great tech. All right, I've got a pick for us. This is from. YouTube user Tronic Box, who does 80s remixes and uh, will get a hold of vocal stems or vocal multitracks from songs and uh, reproduce the music of the original song and place the uh, modern vocal maybe in a different time period. And this is uh, Tronic Box's reproduction of Justin Bieber's What Do You Mean? It's 1985. Check out Tronic Box on yeah. YouTube. And uh, this style of uh, basically like pseudo-anachronistic production has made a huge splash. And you've also got it the other way around where uh, recently uh, Kygo, you know, reused an old Whitney Houston uh, vocal stem for Higher Love yeah. that became a huge hit. So you've got all these uh, displaced vocals from their time periods getting, you know, integrated into different productions uh, which I think is kind of neat. And I think Tronic Box does a way better version of reharmonizing the music than uh, Kygo did with Whitney. Yeah, Tronic Box is amazing. He did, uh, Ariana Grande, he does a great song by her. There's a um, great Rihanna one that he did. and uh, uh, Also somebody that I used to know. Somebody uh, said, that's probably my favorite one by Tronic Box, but he does, I mean, it's immaculate. I, uh, please check him out on YouTube. All right, Chris, what do you got for us? I've got a pretty cool tune. Um, I guess I'll play it first, and then I'll talk about it uh, a little bit afterwards. But it's a, it's a song called What is Love, and I believe it's by Cornelius Link. But uh, if we could just play that real quick, and I'll talk about it.
you got Bardcore, dudes. You got Tavern Waved again. You've got that Tavern brain. I've got that Tavern brain. Really? This is the last yeah. we ever heard from Chris after you're, this episode. You're all in. <laughs> I'm all in. I found there are so... I think the thing that impressed me so much about the Tavern Wave movement... <laughs> Is that oh no! There are so many songs. No. There are so many songs that have been medievalized, and like, why? Every word you're saying right now. <laughs> why would somebody cover Hathaway's "What Is Love" into a medieval bard style? But Cornelius Link did it, and, and somebody did some vocals, and I'll, I'll we'll link to who uh, who sang the vocals over it. But you know, a lot of the music we talk about here on track listing, uh, the, the underlying question is always why. Why? 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 But for some reason, it did happen. Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on pirate wave or uh, shanty shanty remixes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing, and it's uh, it's for another episode. Gobble, yes. Goblet rock. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Well, that is the uh, soundtrack to a Knight's Tale. Yeah, Chris, good pick. No, thank you guys. Uh, appreciate Woo! you guys. Great soundtrack. And uh, thank you for introducing me to a new genre that I cannot yeah. unhear. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to be pushing that for a while. So, <laughs> And uh, thank you to everyone for listening to A Night's Tale with us. And whose pick is it next week? I think it's going to be our 60th episode. Yeah. Might be Caleb's pick. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. We're over the well, hill, gang. <laughs> I can't get that, uh, can't get that bardcore out of my brain. I think I might be done. <laughs> might be doing Night's Tale the sequel. Mm-hmm. Well, (laughs) until then, (laughs) we love you guys. Thanks for listening. See See you next week. week.